0: You're listening to Environmental Investing, the show where we explore market-based approaches to environmental challenges. I'm Aaron Appleton, and on today's show, triple bottom line businesses in Africa. What are they, and how are they working to solve environmental problems while making a profit? Nature is the capital upon which all economies and all nations are actually
1: dependent.
2: $7.2 trillion are brought to the United States alone by ocean related businesses. We have 38 established environmental
0: financial markets. Energy returned on energy investment. A cleaner
2: company had a higher P.E. ratio.
0: On this episode, we have Angelica Town, Boris Belayev, and Samuel Amporo joining us from my living room in Brooklyn, New York.
2: Nice Cheers.
0: Boris and Angelica are co founders of the organization Educate, which is a high growth social enterprise that works with governments and currently over 20,000 students to transform education in Africa. They prepare graduates through entrepreneurial training to start businesses. Through this work, Boris and Angelica were co-recipients of the Forbes Top 30 Under 30 Social Entrepreneurs Award in both 2012 and 2013. Samuel Emporo is also joining us today on a brief trip through New York City. Samuel is a foreign relations officer with the Namibian government and has held postings in several countries throughout Europe and Africa. Through this role, he focuses on liaising between the government and various UN agencies and many other international organizations. Samuel would also like to expressly state that any views he shares on this episode are his personal opinions and do not reflect the official stance of the Namibian government. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks. Thanks for having us.
2: Glad to be here.
3: Thank you for having us.
0: To start things off, I'd love for you to give us a brief overview of the work that you're currently involved in. So, Angelica, why don't you begin?
3: Okay.
2: This is Angelica, and I work for Educate as the global director. I've been doing it for the last seven years, and most of that time I was based out of our Uganda office, and for the last two years I've been living in New York.
0: All right. How about over to Boris? This is Boris.
1: I am the uh, executive director of Educate. Uh, I've been doing work on Educate full-time for six years. And we work to transform education in Africa to teach youth to solve poverty for themselves and their communities. So trying to change education, particularly high school ed, education, to be really practical or relevant so that it can directly help young people start businesses, take leadership initiative, and improve their livelihoods.
3: All right, and then how about with Samuel? Oh, thank you. I'm Samuel, government official in Namibia for the last seven years in different roles: project management, development planning, and amongst others. Thank you. Very good to have you guys here today. Now, I'm really curious to hear
0: about each of your backgrounds. Like, how did you first get interested in the work you're doing, and what led you to where you are now?
2: I have always been interested in education, actually. I was meeting with a potential partner and he just looked at me and said, you grew up poor, didn't you? And I was like, what? And he was like, you grew up poor and education got you out of it. And I was like, yeah, actually, that's a really good summary of my experience. So for a long time, I've really believed in the power of education to change lives and to definitely make an impact on communities. So I started working with Educate right out of college And while I was in college, I designed a couple of leadership programs, um, mostly in Jamaica and and did an education project in Ethiopia. Uh, But Educate was my my first job, Um, and it's been great. All
1: right, how about Boris? So I actually got involved in Educate uh, in college beginning of my sophomore year. There was a classmate who had gone to Uganda, came back sponsoring a Congolese refugee to go to school. And so I got involved beginning my sophomore year, and we ran a scholarship program. And tying maybe to the triple bottom line businesses idea, uh, I got a fellowship from this organization called Starting Block in the spring of my senior year, and it was a four day fellowship, and I heard a bunch of different speakers like Frank Park of Athena Health and others. The first time I was really introduced to this idea of social entrepreneurship, and I think it made me see how... I could be ambitious and entrepreneurial but in, in the social space and kind of opened up my eyes and went to Uganda summer after we graduated in 2007 to chart our course for what we're doing now. I've
3: um, been doing it for eight years since.
0: All right. And Samuel?
3: Actually, my first job was as a traffic cop. So I did that for two years and then there was a vacancy in government in one of the departments in government and I joined that. and. At that institution, I got to work a lot with the UN and with the UN-funded projects in Namibia. And that kind of got me a lot interested in what I'm currently doing now. And since then, I've been doing the same thing.
0: Now that you mentioned social businesses, can you explain what that is? And also this concept of a triple bottom line, what that is?
2: So the triple bottom line is people, profit, and planet. And the idea is that you want to start an enterprise that... Has an impact on all three. So, an impact on people. Um, maybe that's something where you're creating jobs or you're impacting a group that's generally forgotten or ignored. And then there's profit. So, you have some form of renewing your resources or money. Um, and we always emphasize, you know, being creative about that. It doesn't necessarily need to be strictly business per se. And then the last thing is the planet. All of the students have. An orientation to what it means to impact the environment, um, whether that be using reusable uh, materials, recycling, thinking about the impact of their business just on the environment itself. So that's kind of the triple bottom line. And social businesses, specifically, as a category of social entrepreneurship, are businesses that are trying to bring a business solution to a societal problem. So a good example of that could be an approach that looks at joblessness, and wants to sustainably impact joblessness by creating uh, maybe businesses in a rural community. So there's a very clear impact that it wants to have on the people, the youth that would then have jobs because of this agriculture project and because of that business. Of course, it's earning an income, and that's the kind of profit. And then the planet, some social businesses explicitly impact that and, and some don't. But one way that it could is if it was taking, you know, organic farming or something where it was looking at making sure that the farming practices were supporting the environment.
0: And Boris, I'd love for you to explain how how does Educate incorporate this concept of triple bottom line into the work that you do in Africa? So Educate mainly focuses on giving students exposure
1: to the elements of triple bottom line and giving them a sense of how their business cannot be just about them and and how they can strategically and creatively incorporate other people um, and at times do it in in a way that actually improves their business. As an example, uh, a graduate of ours named Lillian Arrow has a crafts business that employs idle women in her community to make crafts from recycled paper. So she she found a lot of kind of idle labor uh, in her community. She was trying to figure out a way to help them and knew how to make crafts herself. And so has been able to create employment for these women, find a use of recycled paper, while at the same time building a sustainable business. We've seen a lot of students, as they've slowly been banning plastic bags in Uganda, so see students making paper bags, uh, which is a business that both eliminates the amount of plastic waste in the community, but also
0: has a, a greater demand because of the... Elimination of plastic bags. Angelica, do you have any other examples of Africa-based businesses that focus on solving environmental problems?
2: So we have some great examples of student businesses that have an environmental focus and an environmental impact. One example, and it's actually one of my favorite students, is a really great guy named Daniel Akuru. Very tall, very wonderful guy from northern Uganda. And he was in our program in high school. And one of the big elements of our program is to expose students to the concept of social entrepreneurship. So you don't necessarily tell them, you know, start X or Y business, but you give them the challenge of social entrepreneurship. Can you think of a business that also has a positive impact on people and the environment? And you see what they do with that challenge. And I think that perspective in the creation point of a business is very important because it changes all of their actions from that starting point. So for Daniel, once he had that challenge, it was no longer just about, you know, what am I gonna do after school? It was, what am I gonna do after school that has a meaning, that has an impact? So one of the things that he did on his own, we didn't teach him this, he just went and uh, researched how to make local stoves and he also researched how to make charcoal briquettes. The idea is that you use some sort of other form of waste to then make charcoal instead of chopping down trees. And the great process that he went through was identifying what product could have a positive environmental impact, what was the process of it helping the environment, what was it taking away or not doing, and how he could then expand from there to make more businesses and different products that could uh, help the environment and its community.
0: Um, Samuel, I'm curious to hear uh, the Southern Africa perspective. Have you seen any environmental businesses in that region that you've been really inspired by? You think that they're doing a good job in solving a particular environmental problem?
3: Yeah. In my first job at National Planning, I, I was working with the small grants program of the UNDP. And under that, we specifically were funding these kind of projects. We had a a very successful project that is still ongoing on biofuel stoves. The other one, we have a lot of what they call invader bush. Invader bush is little shrubs with very short thorns that grow everywhere, and they, they kind of block grazing land. Now what people do is they harvest them, and then they make coal from these trees. So those are the two that I remember. What is the future potential
0: or growth potential of environmental businesses in Africa, whether it's East Africa, Southern Africa? Do you think that there's a lot of opportunities for environmental businesses in the future? It seems like as
1: global warming continues, global south is going to take the biggest hit. So I think Africa and South Asia in particular seem to be most affected and so, with that, it seems to create a natural demand for businesses that address those challenges, whether it's companies that are trying to prevent flooding or irrigation, to the numerous other issues that will arise as global warming increases and sea levels rise. That combined with the fact that population, at least based on current trends, is expected to quadruple by the end of the century, would seem to provide a ton of market opportunity around renewable fuel sources around water sanitation around conservation these trends are all fairly I think if you put them all together they paint a fairly clear picture
0: and so it seems like the market for environmental businesses will only escalate and from Samwell on the southern Africa and Namibia perspective do you think that there is a lot of potential for environmental businesses in that region in the
3: future I would say locally there's not much enthusiasm about it. But at national level, as a government, we are also going with the trends. For example, now we have passed a policy where most all of the new government buildings will be based on solar energy. So that is one area now that is growing in Namibia. We are busy constructing now a 250 megawatt solar plant as well. So it is a direction that is moving. So there is potential, but again, it is still a concept that needs to be owned by the locals. Angelica, did you want to
0: add on a bit more to what Samuel was saying?
2: I think the best locally-led environmental business that I've seen has really been centered around local ownership of the community itself, but also of closing a loop that is a clear and present need to people. So a great example of this is in northern Uganda, there was a, a lack of electricity you can think about so many solutions that could bring electricity to this rural village. And one of those solutions might be solar. One of those solutions might be having it be electrified by a grid. And when it comes to the environmental business proposition, I think the most important thing is that it's actually a better solution. And so what this entrepreneur did was he looked at the resources available in that community And one of those things was a rice growing community. And so there was a ready resource of rice husks. And so taking that agriculture waste, putting it through a very expensive uh, machine, it comes out as actually powering the machine itself through the energy coming from burning the rice husks, And then it also electrified the nearby football field and the nearby school. In the beginning, people were like, you're crazy. What are you doing with our rice? Why are you taking the waste? You're a lunatic. We don't buy into this idea of environmentalism for environmentalism's sake. But when they could see that they didn't have to wait for the government to set up wires in a grid, they didn't have to invest in a huge swath of land that would go to solar panels enough to power that same stretch of the community. That's when I bought into this idea that, wow, this is a great solution where we can reuse our resources. And it demonstrated the power, I think, of environmental businesses to close a loop for a community. Everything could stay there except for the the machine, of course. And then they also invested in locals being able to run those machines. And so environmental businesses really need that international perspective and, and technology to survive. And then a lot of local ownership, education and integration within the community itself.
0: I know that each of you have had extensive experience traveling outside of Uganda, the U.S., Namibia. And I'm curious, based on these international experiences, what markets or geographical regions do you think hold some of the most promising opportunities for environmental investing, say, over the next 10 years?
2: I'm biased, but I definitely think Africa as a region. In many ways, Africa is a huge, huge resource and a huge hotbed of people and investment and progress um, that can be capitalized on and invested in.
3: What are your thoughts, Samuel? I would say it's definitely Africa. And for example, in Namibia now, we are also busy doing feasibility on desalination because we are a very arid country, for example, but we have a coastline. We have two perennial rivers that we use for hydroelectricity. Solar energy, like I said earlier, we have a lot of vegetation as well. There is definitely a lot of potential on that. When it comes to forests, it's the whole of Africa. I mean, even on water, it's the whole of Africa. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm biased on this. So, I would say Africa.
0: Now, thinking about your each of your unique experiences in the public, the private, and nonprofit sectors, I'd love to hear about your perspective on what you think should be the role of governments versus the role of markets, versus the role of civil society in solving environmental problems. I think uh, if you believe in capitalism as the creator
1: of the most good, and markets as the creator of the most good, if you're new enough to understand tragedy of the commons, which is the idea that when we all have a park that's public, we will all leave our garbage in that park, I think you can kind of see the power of government and capitalism together, Because of government's ability to create markets under which capitalism can really thrive to solve social problems. So as an example, and I don't know too much about carbon markets, but this ability to better regulate carbon, and I think outside of carbon markets, government's ability to tax things that lead to more negative externalities for the public is incredibly powerful and is often not used enough, because I think the power of the market is incredible to solve a problem. But the government is the only one that can see the whole system and can set the constraints around how that problem is solved and which problem is solved. After all that, I think that the social sector, I think there will always be problems that even within, with, within government-defined constraints that won't, won't be solved. Um, and I think the social sector does an amazing job addressing those market failures when they do happen.
0: All right. Switching gears a bit, I have a question that one or all of you can answer if you so desire. And it is, can you think of a specific book, article, or film that has most inspired you to pursue the path that you're on now? You know, I have trouble remembering
1: exactly what I read earlier on. I was reading a a book by the Dalai Lama recently, and it talked about this idea of thinking about service very pragmatically, looking at it, well, over here, if you can help one person, over there, if you can help ten people, then you should very logically help ten people. And I think this idea of kind of the power of your own ability and thinking very pragmatically about the the way to leverage that has really resonated with me personally and my own values. Also, and and I'm slightly embarrassed to say this, but right as I was quitting my first job, I read uh, a 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. There was one concept that really resonated with me around semi-retirement and the idea that you should live life now as though you were in retirement kind of not delaying what you want to do with your
0: life and doing it right away. All right, and what about you, Angelica?
2: Uh, for me, the book that resonates the most is Pedagogy of the Oppressed by Paulo Freer. And I think it has influenced the way I think about education as a tool. I think one of the biggest insights I had as a person leaving the U.S., and going off into the world was uh, understanding that there's a promise behind education, that it's going to be a pathway out of poverty, that it's going to be this great social equalizer. And I think we hear similar promises when it comes to entrepreneurship or business. And what it reminded me of was that a lot of these promises are broken that if you actually peel back and look at the people on the ground who are receiving this education or being involved in these businesses or engaging in this, you find a totally different story. So the idea of pedagogy of the oppressed is that you have to really engage the people who are in this state of poverty and understand completely what their experience is and start from that That point. Don't start from what you're most passionate about. Think about what resonates with those people and what they're going to use and what their perspective is. Because I think, in a lot of ways, there is a slow and persistent bias of our own experience that we bring to a lot of the things that we do. And that we have to constantly be aware of that and reevaluating that and understanding that our own experiences are not universal. And that what we need and what we find exciting and what we want. And what we think is going to change the world isn't necessarily what other people think. And so it has to be a dialogue. It has to be us together understanding how the world can be different and making it together. They have to be active and engaging in this building, this business, building this education with you.
0: Thank you for sharing. On each episode, we have a special segment called the Environmental Audio Challenge. For this segment, our featured guest gives a fun challenge for our listeners to respond to. Some examples could include things like asking an environmental trivia question, asking our listeners to share a creative idea that they have for solving an environmental problem, having our listeners compose and sing a short chorus to a song about an environmental issue, or wherever their creativity may lead them. So first, let's hear our top response from last episode's Environmental Audio Challenge. This comes from Wendy, a listener from Minneapolis, Minnesota.
4: Hi Erin. it's Wendy. I totally loved listening to your podcast and I wanted to tell you my divestment story. So I heard about divesting maybe two years ago from some friends of mine and at first I was like, what is this divesting thing? Like, The real issue in the world is, like, global poverty or whatever, like, after living in Africa. And then I feel like I learned a lot more about it through these friends who are – working on campaigns to divest their institutions um, from fossil fuels to so like University of Minnesota and Carleton College in Minnesota, that they're working really hard to do that. And so it's been really interesting to get to know more about that. And I have a friend now who works for 350 as well. Um, so it was really cool to listen to your podcast and hear the guy talk about that. I feel like for us, for divesting at first, when I heard about it, I was like, oh, man, this is so big. There's no way that I can actually do anything that really matters about divesting but and i realized you know what like it doesn't have to be like it's very important to divest our big institutions but also personally wanting to divest as well that i had to switch our retirement money into a social index fund that um there still is a little bit of oil and gas in it i think it's about 2% but it was a drastic reduction from what our previous um, retirement money was in. And so it felt really good to be like, you know what? I can both be talking to people on a large scale and then also on a small scale, be personally divesting um, the very small amount of money that I have to divest Um And so, yeah, I guess I looked it up again after your audio challenge about how much of my stuff is in oil and gas. And so right now what I have is 2% in oil and gas. I'm in a social index fund that has low oil and gas so that hopefully my small amount of money is not doing so much harm in the world.
0: (laughs) All right. Back to Angelica, Boris, and Samuel. Do you have an environmental audio challenge that you'd like to give to our listeners?
3: I want our listeners to bring forth proposals on how conservation and and community-based resource management can be replicated in a lot of countries as a means to fight some of the environmental challenges that we have. In some areas, for example, we have managed to increase the populations of animals that were decreasing, like the rhino, the cheetah. What proposals would the listeners have on whether this is a possibility that can be replicated in other areas, for example? All right, so you're going to have to get creative with this one
0: as you come up with a scalable idea for how community-based resource management could be used to solve an environmental problem of your choosing. To respond to this environmental audio challenge, please call our number at 415-887-2367 and leave a message. Our top responses will air on the next episode, so stay tuned. All right. Well, thank you very much, Angelica, Boris, and Samuel, for joining us. It has been a pleasure and very, very enlightening to hear about the perspective from all across the continent of Africa.
2: Thank Thank you, Aaron. Aaron. See you next time. That was awesome.
0: That was (laughs) like a (laughs) (laughs) barbershop. Thanks for listening to Environmental Investing. You can go to environmentalinvesting.com to find the links from this episode's show notes, as well as back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. And now a message from this episode's featured musical guest.
4: Hello, this
2: episode's featured music is brought to you by Tila, that's spelled T-S-H-I-L-A, and I'm the lead vocal on the music that you're listening to. Hope you enjoy it. And cheating with the which wants to And daddy can't On over
3: top